माय नेम इज श्रीकांत जोशी एंड दिस इज द कोविड एच प्रोजेक्ट The H in the name of this podcast, the COVID H project, initially used to be happiness, the COVID happiness project, because I knew the pandemic would take a toll on everyone's mental health, and I figured I could try and give them tiny little doses of positivity on a frequent enough basis. Turns out I was the one who needed a large dose of positivity a few episodes into the attempt. Long story, check episode three if you want the details. Anyway, the podcast was pretty much abandoned until about a month ago, but thanks to Dr. Bhushan. enthusiasm i was able to revive resurrect reboot the podcast with a recurring segment called #bsdetector which deals with busting commonly held myths around various mental illnesses which you already know if you've been listening to this podcast for the last month or so however today the h in the covid h project stands for hope that is the covid hope project because today we are starting a new segment #gyandemic with anirban hi i'm anirban i work as a publisher and i'm interested in science communication and in particular the covid-19 pandemic thanks for having me don't worry hashtag bs detector with dr bhushan isn't going anywhere it will still run on its twice a week schedule every monday and thursday this hashtag gyandemic segment with anirban will be in addition to hashtag bs detector now those of you who are on twitter probably know anirban as @bhalumanush He has been tweeting about COVID-19 and the pandemic fairly regularly there. So I reached out to him asking if he would be interested in helping us understand the latest updates on the progress made by the scientific world with regards to the COVID-19 pandemic from a lay person's perspective. He was kind enough to say yes. And one WhatsApp call later, this segment #gyandemic was conceived. The agenda for #gyandemic is simple. I plan to ask him questions about everything related to COVID-19, from the virus to the vaccines. The current plan is to do this segment fortnightly. Although there is enough material in my conversations with Anirban to make this a weekly endeavor instead of a fortnightly one. Let's see. My most recent conversation with Anirban the one that I'm going to play for you today happened on Monday the 1st of December 2020 so by the time you listen to this some of the things may have already become old and or stale news apologies in advance i'm sure our planning and coordination will improve in subsequent episodes nonetheless i hope you still enjoy this conversation that we had I began our conversation by asking Anirban about the various vaccine candidates that were reported in the news as showing significantly positive results. Specifically, I asked him about Pfizer, Moderna, and AstraZeneca. Well, first of all, I want to say that there are, these are the three frontrunner vaccines right now, but there are more than a hundred other vaccines in various stages of clinical trials. Uh, we will need multiple vaccines to end this pandemic. So mm-hmm. Pfizer and Moderna these are uh, vaccines which are known as uh, mRNA vaccines so definitely a new kind of a technology and then the AstraZeneca one is something called a viral vector vaccine There are several other vaccines in play in case you hadn't realized such as Sputnik 5 and the Chinese vaccine Sinovac and co-vaccine by Bharat Biotech if I'm not mistaken. So this is sort of a broad landscape of all the vaccines and I would encourage anyone uh, to go to the the World Health Organization site and they have a blueprint regarding vaccines. Like Anirban, I'm also rooting for all the candidates to succeed. Now, to understand what exactly success means in this context, we need to first understand something called vaccine efficacy. 
we've all heard the numbers pfizer is reporting 94% efficacy moderna has reported 95% efficacy astrazeneca says it has 60% efficacy in one case and up to 90% efficacy in another case and on an average 70% efficacy so what exactly is efficacy how do you define it who defines it what do these numbers mean when the us food and drug administration set up the parameters for what they would require for an emergency use authorization of a vaccine they said a vaccine would have to be at least 50% effective and mm-hmm. vaccine makers would have to decide on which they would use as their measure or their criterion for success okay. so one thing is they could say that well uh, it's going to prevent inf- infection altogether that would be obviously the the best case scenario and the ideal one correct the second is that basically i would say sort of the minimum is that it has to at least uh, stop symptomatic disease or covid-19 right. and then the third criterion is like definitely reducing the number of uh, severe or serious patients who get this and then the ones that suffer the worst outcomes so these are the three things uh, that could be measured so no infection at all or no symptomatic infection or no severe infection those are the three outcomes that can be targeted now all of these vaccines that you mentioned have as their primary measure of of success reduction of symptomatic covid-19 and the really really good news is that all of these uh look like they are reducing serious covid 19 ah so when these guys say 95% efficacy what they're basically saying is of the tens of thousands of people who are enrolled in the trial if 100 people were found to have symptomatic covid 19 then 95 out of the 100 were on a placebo and not on the vaccine only the other 5 were on the vaccine which means overall the vaccine has 95% efficacy so so yes that is essentially what they are doing and as you mentioned because you have that number after a number of of, of events that percentage huh. comes after a number of events that, that is a variable percentage because as you get more events that number can change now events here refers to people getting infected with covid-19 in the course of their daily lives which also means that if these people are being careful and cautious and following all the guidelines properly then they might not be exposing themselves to the virus in many meaningful ways in the first place so the not getting infected might actually be due to their prudence and their caution rather than the vaccine itself when you are setting up a trial you're already um, narrowing down to uh, a pool of people presumably they are more aware of the disease how it spreads and what a vaccine might do so you know pool of people is not may not be in that sense behaviorally representative of the broader population a trial determines something called an efficacy and an efficacy is slightly different from effectiveness which is in the real world scenario when you're vaccinating thousands of people and tens of thousands of people and millions of people ultimately right. but i think when you have multiple trials with larger number of people and then you have the placebo it somewhat normalizes for that but again that is the difference between efficacy and real world effectiveness so what anirban is essentially saying here is that we are relying on the science of statistics to normalize it all for us 
that by choosing a sample population with wide enough variation of volunteers, we can account for and if necessary negate the effects of people behaving sensibly to get a better idea of the vaccine's true effectiveness out there in the world. Now, all of this is basically to ensure that the vaccine does the one thing we desperately need it to do, which is give the entire population of the world some sort of immunity from the virus. Which actually brings up a rather difficult question. What exactly does immunity from the novel coronavirus, the SARS-CoV-2 virus even look like? What kind of immunity are these vaccines going to give us and for how long? So what happens in a natural infection is, let's say, you get infected with SARS-CoV-2 and then let's say you have a symptomatic infection and then after a while you uh, have this acute infection and then it, your body clears it after a few weeks. And then you have antibodies and T cells and a robust immune response. Right. So you need to track that immune response in that natural infection to know how long it lasts. Early on, there was a lot of fear about reinfections and people getting infected after SARS-CoV-2 infection once. And although there are cases, there are documented cases of reinfection, it seems to be a fairly rare event. So that's a good thing. The okay. second thing is, I mean, the disease has not been around for uh, more than a year now. So uh, it's a little difficult to actually track the duration and the length of immunity. But the good news is that the antibodies, uh, multiple studies have shown that protective antibodies seem to last for at least six months. So that's two pieces of extremely good news. One, the reinfection fears are probably unfounded. And two, studies show that antibodies might last at least six months. Six months not because antibodies disappear after that time, but because the antibody data for this disease has been around for only about uh, six months now. So now the question that needs to be asked out loud is this. Can we manufacture enough doses for the entire world? And can we manufacture them soon enough? The short answer is no. I don't want to be a downer at first, but in 2021, it's estimated, it depends on which estimates that you look at, uh, for hmm. at least the first few vaccines that look like they will be working. Uh, they can scale up to anywhere from 2.5 billion doses to 4 billion doses. Uh, okay. And each of these vaccines require uh, two doses each, right? Right. Uh, and so if we have 8 billion people and we need anywhere from 60 to 70 percent of the people immunized for herd immunity, uh, mm -hmm. then we're looking at billions more vaccines than we currently have. So a quick back of the envelope calculation tells me that we need to vaccinate somewhere between 5 to 6 billion people to achieve some semblance of herd immunity. And since most of these vaccines are two doses, that means we'll need about 10 to 12 billion doses to achieve this goal. If you're keeping track of the numbers, that's much less than half of what we can currently manufacture in a single year. However, the doc has some good news. So I do think that uh, in 2021, Diwali is going to be much, much better than the, the Diwali that we had, at least with some people vaccinated. And I wrote about this in a piece for Live Mint as well. But to, I do not think that everyone uh, will be vaccinated. Now, sad as this piece of news may be, it is something that people often seem to miss when discussing vaccines. The episode of Planet Money called Before the Shot in the Arm, which came out on the 3rd of December 2020, discusses this situation, this exact situation in detail. 
and it can be basically summed up as we don't have the capacity to manufacture, transport, deliver, distribute and deploy enough vaccines for everyone in the world within the year. As simple as that. I mean, think about the process that the vaccine goes through before it reaches you. First, you manufacture the vaccine. Then you put it in a vial. Then you pack it into boxes. Then stack them on pallets. Then stash them in the cargo. Fly them into other countries. Send them to remote areas. And then jab it into your body using a syringe and a needle. All of this has to be done while ensuring that the vaccine stays well below room temperature until it actually enters your body. So it's not just the vaccine that needs to be manufactured. You need to manufacture the vial, the box, the pallet, the packing, the harness, the syringe, the needle and most importantly, the equipment to keep the vaccine properly cooled until the moment it is loaded into the syringe and injected into your body. It's not just about the product, but about the entire supply chain around the product. Which brings us to the question, is there an alternative to the vaccine? As in, is there a cure for the disease that we can focus on instead of relying entirely on the vaccine? I think one of the reasons that uh, we've been focusing a lot on these vaccines is that this has been the good news. This is It has been a breath of fresh air. I mean, we are mm. worried about this and, and ultimately vaccines will go a long way toward ending the pandemic. But it takes a really, really long time to develop drugs and developing drugs for a a virus during a pandemic is uh, is extremely difficult difficult is honestly an understatement it's kind of like building a roller coaster while riding it and we went through and tried a whole bunch of other drugs and it has actually been quite disappointing that uh, none of these antiviral drugs worked as well as we would have liked. And then I think sort of the bright spot right now is over the last month or two, we've had a couple of monoclonal antibodies, uh, one by Eli Lilly that was approved and mm. another monoclonal combo by this company called Regeneron. And that was the one that was given to President Donald Trump. Um, mm. That's been approved as well uh, for emergency use um, in the United States. An EUA, emergency use authorization, usually means the drug is given to the patient as a last resort. You know, when nothing else is working. Uh, again, the point here is that none of these drugs or treatments are going to be the so-called silver bullet or the magical treatment that cures 90% of the people who are infected by this. In other words, we don't have a cure for this disease as of this moment. The drugs that we were initially hoping would work have not worked exactly in the way we were hoping they would. The drugs that we have managed to develop in the short time frame seem to be yielding good results, but we are being cautious about them. As of this moment, 5th of December 2020, our best option for surviving this disease is to avoid getting infected. In fact, I think this would be a good time to lay down some realistic expectations for the coming days, specifically in terms of vaccinations, immunity, treatments, and our overall plan of action for this disease, for this pandemic. The, the main thing that I will be looking at is basically the full set of data. Right now, everything has been, we are going off of press releases of uh, corporations. And I'm not saying that they're doing anything nefarious, uh, but again, that needs to be reviewed by external regulatory uh, bodies. All of our optimism is based on data that we haven't scrutinized ourselves. Uh, and the second one is, we briefly touched on this as well, is that 
Um, we will need people to still socially distance and mask uh, for the foreseeable future while they wait for vaccines. Mm-hmm. So that's my second concern. Mm-hmm. Uh, my third concern is actually that um, it seems like talking to you and talking to other people, I know everyone is very, very enthusiastic about these vaccines, (laughs) but there is a sizable number of people who are vaccine skeptics. And I've been trying my best to try to encourage them with the information that we have so far. And that basically prolongs the pandemic. And then if there's a sort of a fourth thing that I can mention, the World Health Organization has said it's more important to have uh, some people vaccinated in all countries as opposed to all people vaccinated in one country. What could happen is that parts of this uh, pandemic die down in certain parts of the world while it continues to rage on in, in less privileged parts of Okay, so in the days to come, we will need to scrutinize the data from vaccine trials. We will need to continue taking the precautions that we are taking today. We will need to figure out a viable solution for the vaccine skeptics. And we will need to ensure that the vaccine reaches far and wide instead of getting hijacked by countries with resources. Of course, all of this is on top of the fact that we might not even have enough vaccines by the end of next year. Remember that entire discussion about the world not having enough vaccine production capacity? Yeah, that. Now, having said that, there are organizations like CEPI and others, and the World Health Organization has commitments from many countries, both in terms of numbers of vaccine doses, but also financial commitments to make sure that this uh, resource is provided to the low and middle income countries as well. So with that, we have come to the end of our first ever hashtag Gyandamic episode with Anirban. There is tons more stuff about COVID-19, the novel coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2 and the vaccine candidates that I discussed with Anirban, which I will try and upload as a separate podcast probably next week, same time, Saturday. In the meanwhile, if you want more of Anirban, I recommend that you follow him on Twitter. He is at the rate Bhalomanush, B-H-A-L-O-M-A-N-U-S-H, which literally translates to good man. And I can absolutely vouch for it. He is a good man. He also has a newsletter, by the way, which you can subscribe to by going to gyandemic.substack.com. That's G-Y-A-N-D-E-M-I-C substack.com This link is also available in his Twitter bio. I sincerely recommend that you subscribe to this newsletter as soon as you can. He regularly writes articles about COVID-19 and the pandemic and a few of his articles have appeared in the publication Live Mint. His writing is amazingly easy to understand. In fact, Penguin has commissioned him to write a book. And it's called COVID-19 Separating Fact from Fiction. And basically, I'm going to be talking about um, where the virus came from, or at least what we know about Mm -hmm. where the virus came from, treatments, vaccines, uh, and uh, how this pandemic ends. So a lot more of of the kinds of things that we were discussing today. And that's slated for uh, launch in February of 2021. I'll post a link to his Twitter handle and his Substack newsletter in the show notes for you to check out. Don't miss it. So if you have any myths or doubts or queries or questions or simply anything that you would like Anirban to clarify for you regarding COVID-19, the novel coronavirus and this pandemic, reach out to us on Twitter or email. 
my twitter handle is at the rate shrikant onirban is at the rate bhalumanush and the show is at the rate tchp show you can also email us directly our email address is tchp.show@gmail.com this episode of the covid h project was produced by me shrikant joshi Special thanks to Anurban Mahapatra. The music that you are hearing is a piece called Acoustic Breeze from bensound.com and it is for the moment the theme music for this podcast. This show contains no ads and no sponsors but contributions, collaborations, bouquets and brickbats are always welcome. Just send an email to tchp.show@gmail.com. This is Shrikant signing off for now. Remember this too shall pass. Take care.